BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Fired up and ready to go. Hey, you haven't heard that in a while, have you? But we are fired up every day here on The Bill Press Show, ready to go with the news of the day with all of our guests and uh, to lead the resistance right here from our studio in Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., part of the resistance for sure. There's no one leader of the resistance, but we got to keep it gone because we have been pretty successful so far stopping two efforts to repeal Obamacare without replacing with anything. And in uh, at least eight legislative uh, races around the country, state legislative races around the country, Democrats are winning seats that they should never win before. Uh, Just a sign that already people are fed up with Donald Trump, uh, regret the direction this country had taken, made a huge mistake, and we got to correct it as fast as we can. So good to see you today. Lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, our top story is Donald Trump uh, now just uh, adding fuel to the fire on the NFL by saying all those uh, weenie owners are afraid of their players. Uh, They're afraid to stand up to their players. Tom Price saying, uh, yeah, I'll reimburse uh, a little bit of all the money that those uh, private jets cost him as we learn that the private jets that he uh, took not only around this country, uh, but to Europe and to Asia. Tax reform, they say they'll get it done by the end of the year. Don't believe him for a second. And Megyn Kelly, yeah, they paid her millions and millions of dollars, but boy, did she bomb in week number one. We'll get right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday. It's a Friday. Damn, I know. What am I doing here on a Friday? I have no idea. Uh, Did I make a mistake? I'm leaving. No, please don't. Let's get into it. Uh, The second largest (laughs) cruise line operator in the world, Royal Caribbean Cruises, has canceled its Adventures of the Sea Cruises in order to use their ship for evacuation and humanitarian efforts in Puerto Rico, which Good is for them. just fantastic in yeah. the wake of Hurricane Maria, of course. Uh, the Royal Caribbean ship has worked with the local government to take evacuees from Puerto Rico, St. Thomas, and St. Croix, to, uh, along with evacuees, to also deliver water, food, and generators. In fact, that Adventures of the Sea ship arrived in Puerto Rico late Thursday, late last night. 
carrying uh, a lot of those humanitarian but, supplies. You know, given all the money that they've made out of the Caribbean, yeah, I they, think they should do this. It's appropriate. They, all of the cruise ships should do this, and they're doing a hell of a lot more than the Trump administration is. Most certainly are. Most certainly are. Uh, some sad news yesterday. Uh, we found out this via Twitter. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the star of Veep and, of course, Seinfeld in uh, her earlier yeah. career, announced she has breast cancer uh, in Ooh. a post on her official Twitter account. Uh, her post read, one in eight women get breast cancer. Today, I'm the one. Uh, you may remember Julia Louis-Dreyfus just a couple of weeks ago broke the record for most Emmys won by a performer for a single role o- earlier this month. She snagged her sixth consecutive win for lead actress in the show Veep. I know Joe Biden actually sent her some well wishes yesterday. I know. And uh, there are millions and millions of uh, American women who are breast cancer survivors, my wife being one of them. Um, so we wish her well. And uh, uh, there's a great medical treatment available today. Yeah, but she went on in her serious, post. Serious, serious business. She went in on her post saying, you know, this is not just something that I'm suffering from. This, as you said, this is a, a big problem for women across the world. Uh, on a lighter note, ending this morning, uh, yesterday, if you were at the President's Cup in Jersey City, North uh, Carolina? North no, Carolina? No, no, New Jersey. No, New Jersey. New Jersey. This is a, this is a, a wrong byline here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> former Presidents Barack Obama, George W. Bush. It's an old toxic waste dump or something. And or Bill Clinton golf course. Uh, yeah. posed with players and wives on each team in an opening ceremony. <laughs> Yesterday was really cool to see these three presidents together before uh, all the players teed off. So uh, if you haven't seen the picture, they look so happy that oh, they're yeah. not that in the, the same position Donald yeah. Trump is in. No. All, all, all three of them, they look great. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, what do you say, Friday? <laughs> uh, closing in on the end of September... When we come back on Monday, it'll be October. Today, Friday, September 29. Hello, hello. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill, joining you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, joining you out in Chicago, Chicago on the great WCPT and in Indianapolis on Indiana Talks. Thanks so much for being with us. We've got lots to talk about and lots you are going to want to comment on. Uh, and you know how to do so. Go on Twitter. Send us your comments at BP Show. And don't forget that podcast. Yes, indeed. We are up every day. Uh, part of the big podcast crowd. Go to BillPressShow.com or, you know, uh, iHeart radio or iTunes, wherever you uh, uh, pick up your podcast, and you will find us there. You can listen to the whole show or just any bit of it that you missed uh, in the morning. The Bill Press Show with, well, let's start, you know, let's start with a bit of a good news, a very heartwarming scene yesterday, 15 weeks after he was gunned down on that baseball field over in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, the whip of the House, Louisiana's Steve Scalise, made his way back to the House of Representatives where he got a raucous 
welcome from his colleagues, Democrats and Republicans. Uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful moment to see him coming in, walking on crutches. Uh, he he's still in rehab, but he is certainly all there mentally for sure. Uh, and he talked about how great it is to be back in the people's house. You have no idea how great this feels to be back here at work in the people's house. Uh, Steve Scalise went on to thank uh, the two Capitol Police officers who were his uh, regular guards who brought him to, he said, told the story. They got there at 6.30 in the morning and just uh, nor- another day starting off a baseball practice, but it turned out soon turned out to be something a lot more than that. And these two officers put their put themselves on the line and saved a lot of lives. One of the officers there yesterday even after being shot both themselves, continued to engage the shooter and ultimately got him down, which not only saved my life, but saved the life of a lot of other people that are here in this chamber today. Crystal couldn't be with us today, but David Bailey is with us. David, you are my hero. You saved my life. Thank you so much. Also in the front row, along with um, the police officer there, were the doctors from MedStar, um, we were told uh, uh, th- that uh, his life was saved really because almost of an accident that when he arrived at MedStar with his injuries a lot worse than we were originally told, internal injuries for sure, that all four of the major trauma surgeons at MedStar just happened to be there at the same time and they all four were able to go to work right away on uh, Congressman Scalise and saved his life. It certainly is true, as he said yesterday, that he is the uh, living example of um, miracles happening. I'm definitely a living example that miracles really do happen. Yes. Now, Jamie, I want to play one more time his clip here saying how great it is to be back in the House. You have no idea how great this feels to be back here at work in the people's house. And you will hear that clip again and that same sentiment again on Monday when our Peter Ogburn returns uh, from his ordeal uh, at MedStar as well. Uh, he's made an amazing recovery from his open-heart surgery. Uh, and fingers crossed, the plan is uh, he'll be in on, uh, on, on Monday, and it'll be so great to uh, see him back. And Can I back, tell you a little bit more back about... Back at work in the people's house. Can I tell you a little <laughs> bit more about what uh, you might expect from Monday's show? Um, uh-oh. Circus, elephants, what do we have? It is an entirely surprise lineup. Oh, so, oh, um, oh, oh, You good. will not know who's... Well, I'll probably no. tell you. I'll probably tell you. But, and I'll probably tell Ray. Peter will not know who's coming in. On Monday morning. Oh, that's great. And that's good. It's yeah. not just three guests. It's more than three guests. Okay, it's a pack show. Some of Peter's favorite guests that have visited us here in studio at the Bill Press Show over the years. They're coming yeah. in studio. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You, you, uh, yeah, you guys, don't yeah, miss but, it. Don't miss it. Well, I know it'll be hard to hide. I mean, when he sees the Secret Service agents around, um, you know, then he'll. Yeah, well, I told him, I said, I'm a little worried of surprising you because I don't know what it's going to do to your heart. So, <laughs> fingers crossed. I, I, you know, so when he sees the black limo 
But when he sees the beast pulling up, <laughs> yeah. By the way, he sees that orange hair. He might, you know, he might get a little fright. No, it's Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden. Joe <laughs> no, Biden's coming. Joe Biden. That would be that would be great. Anyway, it would be great to have Peter back. Yes, indeed. Uh, not all the news. Good news yesterday. Certainly not for the people of Puerto Rico. It is still a disaster zone down there, uh, and the Trump administration coming under more and more criticism. Uh, the um, the congresswoman. From New York State, born in Puerto Rico. But remember, people born in Puerto Rico are Americans. They can run for Congress. They can run for Senate. They could run for president. I don't think Donald Trump knows this, but they are Americans. Uh, Nidia Velasquez, a uh, congresswoman from New York yesterday, it's immoral not to be doing more for our fellow Americans. Our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters are American citizens. They have fought in every conflict, they have shed blood, they have died for our freedoms. It is morally incumbent upon us to help them. Even Republican Marco Rubio, uh, has been, who's been down to Puerto Rico, uh, keeps telling the Trump administration, you've got to do more. Let the military take over. I have and continue to encourage the White House, both in formal and informal channels, uh, to step up the DOD engagement and uh, as the lead agency in the whole government approach because they have, at least when it comes to logistics, the expertise, the training, and the material to conduct these operations in a way that would be successful. Uh, and what do we hear from the administration? Nothing but good words. They insist that they're doing everything they can, that, the, the, that this is the same effort they made uh, for uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, in Texas and Hurricane Irma in uh, Louisiana, I mean in uh, Florida. No, it is not. But here is cheery old Mike Pence yesterday, you know, who's uh, the biggest, God, just the biggest, you know, BSer and ass kisser I think we've ever seen as vice president. President Trump said yesterday to the people of Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, we are with you now. We will be with you every step of the way until the job is done. Uh, well, that's certainly not the case. Uh, almost the entire island is still without electricity. Uh, one half of the island uh, is without potable water. Um, and the acting, um, Mike Pence is not the only one uh, singing the, uh, uh, the happy tunes. Uh, the acting DHS secretary, Elaine Duke yesterday told uh, reporters down at the White House uh, that uh, what's happening in Puerto Rico, she said, it's actually a good news story, mm -hmm. a good news story. Uh, but more and more people are comparing the response to the miserable, deplorable response uh, in Puerto Rico uh, to the U.S. response under President Obama in 2010 in Haiti when the earthquake struck. Uh, in Haiti with the military, within two days, saw the numbers this morning in the Washington Post, within two days we had, get this, 8,000 troops on the ground in Haiti, within two days. Within two weeks, we had 22,000 troops, American troops there, 33 ships, and over 300 helicopters helping the people of Haiti. And we almost have no presence. And it wasn't until yesterday, eight days after Maria struck, that Donald Trump signed the Jones Act, which provided a little more uh, shipping uh, uh, capacity 
to get supplies down there and to get people off the island. Just so, a 10-day waiver, though. So, you know, there's a lot of work that's going to take place over many months. In fact, possibly many years. Yeah. But this this act, which allows uh, which was signed back in the 20s, it says that basically any cargo that goes from uh, U.S. port to port has to be carried by a U.S. ship. Yeah. That should have been done immediately. Again, eight days later, nine days later, Donald Trump finally discovers Puerto Rico and realizes that um, Puerto Rico, he says, we would have been there. We would have been there earlier, except Jesus. Nobody told us it was an island in the middle of an ocean, so we couldn't drive our trucks there. Yeah, maybe you should have asked Barack Obama how to handle um, relief uh, after a natural disaster in the Caribbean. Speaking this of is na- an island sitting in the middle of an ocean. Oh no! And it's a big ocean. It's a very big ocean. Uh huh. Sorry, I had to do it one more time. Oh yeah, no, it's all right. I can't hear. Can't hear too much of it. Uh, yeah, how long is Tom, uh, how long is Tom Price going to be around? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, Donald Trump reportedly is mightily pissed off at uh, Tom Price. By the way, uh, because of uh, all the stories about Tom Price taking these private planes. Uh, by the way, I don't know why Donald Trump is pissed off because the biggest money raker in the whole business is Donald Trump, followed by Ivanka. I mean, they're out there hawking their products every single day, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Every time he goes. Uh, up to Bedminster, New Jersey, or across the river here to Sterlington, or wherever the, his his um, Virginia golf course is, or down to Mar-a-Lago, uh, he's you know raking the money in. And he's he the role his, model, right? He is, he is the role model. You talk about ass kissers. You know, Mike Pence. Well, if you want to ass kiss to the president, to your boss, go ahead and indulge in some of those lavish lifestyle. Yeah. So Gary Cohn is does. doing it. Steve Mnuchin is doing it. Steve Mnuchin who asked for a $25,000 an hour government plane to take him on his honeymoon to Europe. Steve Mnuchin, who used a private, who used a government plane to take him, or was it, no, no, yeah, um, I forget whether government or private plane, I think it was government plane, to take him just down to see the eclipse. Yeah, big official business, to go see the eclipse. You could have seen it in Washington, D.C., by the way, down in Fort Knox. But Tom Price taking private planes, chartering private planes, to take him again uh, to have lunch with his son, to go down to St. Simon, Georgia, to go to an Aspen uh, a, um, Aspen Institute conference out in Colorado. And now we learn he even chartered private planes to take him and his wife uh, to Asia and to Europe, trips that cost about 500 million, no, 500, I'm sorry, half a million, $500,000 and Tom Price yesterday said, well, all of this was official business. All of these trips uh, were official business. All of them were within budget. All of them were approved by the normal processes that every other administration has gone through prior to the trip, not after. Uh, but we've heard the concerns. Uh, I've heard the concerns. I've heard the criticisms. That's a lie. That is a lie. I mean, first of all, going down to it's nice to have lunch with your son. Right, but going flying to Nashville on a charter plane, which taxpayers paid for to have lunch with your son, is not official business. And there were commercial flights available for several of the legs of these trips. And the last time I checked, there are commercial flights to Europe and Asia. I'm, I, I think so. I, yeah, unless that has totally changed. So get this: the the Europe and Asia trips, again, according to the Post and the New York Times this morning, cost uh, half a million dollars. And Donald uh, Tom Price yesterday said he is reimbursing the government. 
$50,000. He's paying, he says, for his seat, but not for the cost of the plane. He's paying for his seat alone. So get that. He he sticks us with half a million, and he pays back 50000 No wonder Donald Trump is pissed off about it. How long will he stay around? And by the way, even, uh, this is one that even Republicans I can't defend, uh, John Kennedy, senator from Louisiana, yesterday uh, <clears throat> very colorfully refuses to defend his old buddy. Senator Kennedy, uh, what did you make of his response? No excuses here. Can't put lipstick on this pig. It's a pig. Now, Tom shouldn't have done this. Whether he stays on is between him and President Trump. But uh, taking these charter flights, playing the big shot on the taxpayer's dime when you can go by bus or train or regular commercial air. Can't put lipstick on this Should pig. Should he be it was fired? Wrong. Should he be fired, Senator? That's, you know, that's not my call. Can't put lipstick on that pig. All you need is a Southern congressman <laughs> to put this in plain terms. Can't put Can't lipstick, put lipstick, on, lipstick this on, pig. on this pig. By the way, the break here, CNN just flashed the exact amount that Tom Price is reimbursing the government for. $51,887.31. I don't know how they figured that out. $51,887.31 uh, when his flights cost him north of, well north of a half a million dollars. Cost us well north of a half a million dollars. Um, yeah, Tom Price, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if uh, he gets a boot. By the way, his big job was, right, he's the doctor. They put him in charge of HHS because he was going to repeal Obamacare. Uh, and he was the guy that they sent up to the Hill to work with the Congress because he's from Congress. He was going. He's he was in charge of repealing Obamacare. Uh, thank God for us. But, but Mike he, Pence took over, and you know that yeah, worked. He didn't deliver. He didn't deliver on on that either. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, somebody, uh, members not of the administration, but people who are exercising bad judgment, Neil Gorsuch yesterday, uh, the newest Supreme Court justice, uh, giving a little speech. No, um, once in a while there are Supreme Court justices, not all of them, but who will go out and give speeches. Very, very rarely for some, you hardly ever see Clarence Thomas do that. We're not talking about paid speeches, but just public appearances. But Neil Gorsuch made one yesterday, made one yesterday, guess where? His first speech as a uh, Supreme Court justice at the Trump Hotel here in Washington, D.C. What was he thinking. I mean, not only um, <laughs> does that, again, just put money in Donald Trump's pocket, uh, the fact that he would go there, but there is a lawsuit challenging the lease of that hotel because, flat out, that hotel violates the rules of the General Services Administration that if you are a government employee, you can't be leasing a property from the federal government and making money off it. Uh, we've talked about this before. That 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 provision existed before Donald Trump was elected. As everybody said, the day he was sworn in, he was going to be in violation of the law uh, or of the rules and regulations. He is still today. The GSA is l just turning its head and looking the other way. Meanwhile, Donald Trump continues to make money off that hotel every single day, and there's a lawsuit challenging that, a lawsuit that could very well end up 
at the Supreme Court, and Neil Gorsuch, who's supposed to be this brilliant lawyer, shows up at the hotel yesterday. He could you have had it. He in, could. He could have to recuse himself from that case. Sure, but I, he, he could. Won't. He could have had it at any other conservative. Yeah. you know. Organization in D.C. He could have had it at, uh, you know, well, the Cato Institute. He could have had it at the Heritage Foundation. Well, he could have had it on the sidewalk outside of the Trump Hotel. Well, by the way, I'll give him this. He didn't schedule it there, but he cho- he agreed to go there. Any other group, doesn't matter what group it is, he could have just said, you know, I- I'm sorry, um, it would be inappropriate for me to, because of a pending lawsuit, to appear at the Trump Hotel. You're at the Marriott. You're at the Hay Adams, you're wherever, fine, I'll be there. You're at the Hilton, fine, I'll be there. Can't go to that hotel because of that reason. Uh, <clears throat> bad judgment, but we've seen so much of it. Oh, what else we got, Jamie? Um, by the way, do we have that little clip of, you know, can we talk a little media here? Megan Kelly, uh, how much is Fox paying her? Uh, Fox, what am I saying? NBC, they stole her from Fox, right? They are paying her, I don't know, over $10 million, I'm sure, $10, $15 million. Uh, and so she's got the Sunday night show, which she hasn't done a hell of a lot. But this week was the first week of her big deal, the morning show. They added another hour to the Today Show, and it has been one disaster after another. Yesterday, she has Robert Redford and Jane Fonda on to talk about their new movie. And what does Megyn Kelly start with asking Jane Fonda why she doesn't want to talk more publicly about the plastic surgery she had? I read that you said you felt you're not proud to admit that you've had work done. Why not? We really want to talk about that? (laughs) Ooh. What you can't see here is the look that Jane Fonda gave her. She just looked at her and said, you crazy woman, what are you doing? Do we really want to talk about that now? Uh, And Jane Fonda has admitted she had some work done, right? She still looks damn good. Uh, She always has. Um, uh, But they've got three minutes to talk about their new movie, and Megan Kelly starts out by talking about plastic surgery. Uh, it's been it's been a bad week. Megan Kelly's had a bad week. The Washington Post on a Monday morning, shortly after the premiere, you know, this airs at 9 a.m. right after the regular mm-hmm. edition of the Today Show ends. They said the first episode of Megan Kelly was basically the entire show was a preview of what the show was going to be, which is usually a bad sign for the future of a show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she also had uh, the cast of Will and Grace on earlier this week and oh, yeah, made, made some... a handful of awkward gay jokes because she doesn't understand homosexuality. We knew that already if you watched her on Fox <laughs> News. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, a pretty funny moment, they had uh, Carly Lloyd from the U.S. women's soccer team on. Her cameraman accidentally stepped oh, yes, into the yeah, shot yeah, yeah. <laughs> and said uh, the S word, you know, right. the equivalent yeah. of crap. I, I don't think, I mean, NBC has to do this, right? They paid her lots of money. They've put all of this marketing budget behind it. They're going to have to stick with her for a while, but this is just a bad decision. Bad decision. It was It was in the beginning, and it's certainly proven to be. Uh, and finally, on, yes, the big issue now, Republicans have said, ah, well, we failed at health care, but, man, 
we're going to move on now with uh, tax reform. I was on CNN yesterday talking a little bit about this. Uh, just a r- reality check um, about about this whole tax reform business. Don't take it too seriously, is my advice. Uh, first of all, uh, a double reality check. First, tax reform. Do we need it? Damn right. Tax reform, tax, the, our tax code is much too complicated. Um, half of Americans don't pay any income taxes at all. Uh, most people don't pay their fair share. Many people, I shouldn't say most, working class Americans pay their fair share, pay more than they should. Uh, certainly the wealthy don't pay their fair share. But this, what the Republicans are talking about is not tax reform. It's just a series of tax cuts. It's a series of tax cuts that benefit, yes, Republicans wrote it, so who else, that benefit the wealthiest of Americans. So just know that. It's not tax reform. It's a whole series of tax cuts to give the wealthiest of Americans more tax breaks. Number one, reality check. Number two, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen this year for sure. Look, we are, okay, we're at the 1st of October. We're at the beginning of October. They had nine months to do something about health care, to repeal it, they controlled the Senate, the House, and the White House, and they couldn't get health care done in nine months. And Donald Trump said, oh, nobody told us it was so complicated. Huh, you think health care was complicated? The tax reform is immensely more complicated than that. And I counted up yesterday. They have, at the most, 40 working days left in this year. You really think they're going to get this done? And they don't have a bill. They don't have a piece of legislation they have what they call a framework. So they haven't even written the damn bill yet, and they're really going to get it through before the end of the year? Ain't going to happen. Let me tell you one other reason it it ain't going to happen. There are 10,000 registered lobbyists in this town. There are 435 members of the House, 100 senators. 535 versus 10,000. Everyone, by the way, 10,000 doesn't include probably another 10,000 consultants, former members of Congress who are not registered as lobbyists but are still advising companies on how to navigate uh, this maze here or the swamp called Washington, D.C. At any rate, every one of those 10,000 lobbyists is hired for one reason, to protect some tax loophole for their business or their organization or their individual. So... (laughs) Every one of those loopholes has an army of lobbyists behind it. And when you put the 10,000 up against the 535, the lobbyists are going to win, and they, do, and they do every time. And if anybody tells you, as Gary Cohn tried to say yesterday, that we have, um, uh, at, the, at the White House briefing, he said, we've designed this so that um, the middle class are going to be the ones helped, not the wealthy. We have designed a tax plan that is stimulant for the economy, where we are giving tax cuts to middle and lower income Americans. We want everyday, hardworking Americans to have more money in their paycheck. Again, any time anybody stands up at the White House podium these days, you know, they're just lying through their teeth. We do not, first of all, we do not know, because again, we haven't seen a bill, what what, how the uh, tax would impact middle class Americans. So he's just mouthing that without showing in any way what it did. Here's what we do know, that on this little napkin where they sketched out their their um, their framework, 
the top tax rate for the for the wealthiest of Americans goes down from 39 to 35 percent. The the tax rate for the lower class, not lower class, but the poorest Americans, if you will, at that bottom of the ladder, goes up from 10 percent to 12 percent. So that alone tells you who benefits from this. There's a tax plan. This is their tax plan. Lowers the rate for the wealthiest of Americans, raises the income tax rate for the poorest of Americans. Now, how can you say it doesn't benefit? And by the way, at the same time, this bill, uh, this framework, would get rid of the um, estate tax, would do nothing about that um, carry-forward interest, which a hedge fund managers um, make gazillions on every year, and it would also get rid of the alternative minimum tax, which is the tax um, that uh, cost Donald Trump $31 million in 2005, the only year for which we have any glimpse into his tax returns. And to show you how sneaky these people are, uh, Jamie, one final cut here. So yesterday at the briefing with Gary Cohn there, uh, one reporter asked, well, wouldn't it help if we're talking about tax reform for Donald Trump to release his tax returns? Don't you think it would be a good idea if the president proved that by releasing his tax returns? Like I said, what we're trying to do here and what we're all working on the White House is to increase the lifestyle of American citizens, our hardworking citizens that get up every morning and work as hard as any people in the world to try and keep more of their hard-earned income. That's another lie. Another lie. By the way, that's a yes or no answer. By the way, I'd also like Wouldn't to... Wouldn't it help for the president to release a tax return? Yes. Can I add a bonus clip? Or no. One more clip from yesterday from Gary Cohn. You haven't heard this yet. This is Gary Cohn's expert on taxes and the economy. Here is his math. Here's what $1,000 in savings on taxes will do for the everyday American. If we allow a family to keep another $1,000 of their income, what does that mean? They can renovate their kitchen. They can buy a new, they can, they can buy a new car. They can take a family vacation. Bill, did you know you could get a, a brand new uh, mid-sized car for a thousand dollars? It's amazing. What a what a you know what it shows. It thank shows, you, President Trump. Make America great again. How out of touch with real Americans Gary Cohn, Steve Mnuchin, and Donald Trump are. They have no freaking idea. Ah, take a quick break. When we come back, David Daly. Uh, he's, he's with Salon, former editor in chief of Salon. Uh, author of a great book called Rat Eft, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. A good friend joining us in studio. Scott Wong from The Hill joins us at the top of the next hour. No excuses here. Can't put lipstick on this pig. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You got it. Friday, September 29. Good to see you today. Thanks for being with us, The Bill Press Show, as we roll through the news of the day. And we are brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, Yep, they're great teachers of America. 
making a difference in the classroom every day. You bet, under President Randy Weingarten. Uh, uh, we uh, salute them, thank them for the support of the program, uh, and uh, encourage you to hug a teacher today uh, and thank them for all the great work that they do. Good friend of ours, David Daly, um, who is author of uh, – I'm sorry? I just want to get some Twitter comments in. Okay. Got right. some comments uh, on I, our Twitter. <laughs> uh, let, let me just uh, introduce ahead. David abruptly. I just see you make all kinds of gestures. I know what's going on. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> did I have uh, yogurt on my face or something I didn't wipe off? Or no, Whatever. Right. All right. Uh, David Daly, as we say, author of Rat Eft, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, which is um, it's very timely because the Supreme Court's going to be dealing with that next week. Hello, David. Good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for welcome back. Uh, yes, Jamie. First comment on our Twitter at BP Show at Peter Ogburn. Bill, get that yogurt off your face. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let's go to our viewers and listeners on our Twitter account at BP Show. Keep sending us tweets this morning. A lot of people weighing in on Tom Price. That last clip that we played there before the break on what savings could do for you with the tax plan. Jessica says, new car? I'd buy that for $1,000. Uh, Suze weighing in saying, arrogant and entitled describes Tom Price and the whole Trump administration. Time to drain this disgusting cesspool and hashtag impeach Trump and Price, uh, Pence. Excuse me. And Jennifer says, ironic name Tom Price when the price the taxpayer pays for his extravagance is more than the average makes we are crowdfunding government luxury. What is he thinking? Thinking, but David, don't you believe? I mean, there is a um, sort of a royalty, get rich quick kind of spirit among these Trumpers, right? Well, and flows, starting, it flows from the top down. Flows from the top. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he sees this as a money making opportunity, and he always has. At both as candidate and as president. Whether he's selling so does, hats or luxury hotels. Exactly. So does his daughter, who hasn't missed a beat in terms of her hawking her products. And hasn't moved them to be made, made in America either. No. Right. Thank you. And his wife has her own line of jewelry and clothing and uh, and all that stuff. So uh, they're, they're all, they, none of them have suspended their money-making activities. Uh, and I'm sure Tom Price sees that and says... Hey, this is this is my chance. I mean, I'm not defending him. It's wrong. But for Donald Trump to get pissed off at him, hey, you know, look in the mirror, dude. Doesn't it feel like, though, that things that would have been outrageous scandals under the last administration are just not even stories at all here? Uh, this is every single day there seems to be another ethics challenge. Uh, you know, another person traveling on, on, on the... On the public dime, or 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 having or doing that, that their work on on a private on e private email. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, things that were such. A Where big are the deal. chance of uh, lock him up? Yeah, lock them up. Lock, lock them all, all up, up, right? But, yeah, uh, and it's almost laugh out loud funny that the White yeah. House announced yesterday that they are going to um, investigate. <laughs> The White House yes. is going to investigate the use of the private email server, right? Well, first of all, if, if Obama had said that, you know, they would have raised holy hell. No, how can how can you trust the White House to do it, which is why they had like 15 hearings, I think, on, on the Hill with Hillary Clinton, right? 
Now, if the White House is going to investigate the use of the emails by Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon and Jared, and Kushner. Jared Kushner, of course, starting with him and Ivanka Trump and, and I, I forget the other one, Kerry Cohn maybe or whatever. Or, but you know what they're going to come up with? Oh, this was totally harmless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no big deal. It's, oh, it's just it's just wedding prep and yoga plans, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> it is so outrageous. And then this this comment of Gary Cohn about what you can do with a thousand dollars again, just showing how how out of touch he is with real people. They probably think that that thousand dollars they can just put towards a uh, a private air travel. A private air travel, right? But uh, this That's came the in the, the con- plan. This came in the context of talking about this so-called tax reform measure of theirs, where they start out by lowering the tax rate for the wealthiest of Americans, uh, getting rid of the alternative minimum tax, getting rid of the estate tax, doing nothing about this carryover thing for the hedge fund. Manager. I mean, it, it is clearly aimed at benefiting again the one percent. Screw the ninety-nine. It's so obvious and it's so clear that you wonder when they will stop being able to get away with things like this. Um, it's 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 just so it's just so stark uh, that it just it constantly seems as if the working class voters who backed Trump have to eventually realize that the wool was pulled over their eyes. Right? That uh, this guy is not on their side. It never has been on their side, um, but nothing seems to be separating him from those base voters. Um, the yep. uh, New York Times and the Washington Post love to go out and to keep telling the stories of these Trump voters right who right. are still not, not just them. Uh, with him. Not just them, but the networks do and too. The networks and it drives too. me crazy. Well, every time they profile these Trump voters and they're just such idiots, right? And they're, and who they're do they sticking represent? with their man. Yeah, okay. And so they're like maybe... Be generous, 30% of the American people, which is appalling in and of itself. But still, that's only 30%. Well, I haven't seen an awful lot of pieces on the the upset Hillary voters uh, in the majority who are still sticking with – who are still with her. Yeah. So – As she's told to to shut up and go away. And the other thing about – so the whole – this whole – by the way, uh, one thing we never hear about with this tax reform plan is um, it's estimated it's going to cost $2 trillion. Just add $2 trillion to the debt, right? Can you imagine, again, if any Democratic president you had, had a, proposed a plan that would, in, would, by a penny, increase the deficit? You had a congressman from North Carolina come out yesterday and actually say this, yes. that deficits are a useful talking point under a Democratic administration, but now that we're in charge... We don't really care about that. Right. And it Forget just his name. He's head the, of the Republican Study Committee. But he actually said that. put the big lie to this, and you just wonder, like, when some of these nonpartisan uh, deficit hawk uh, groups that, you know, love to uh, clog up the center lane of American politics are right. going to realize that the entire talk about the deficit is just a partisan sham. It's just a t- political talking point. Yes. So that's one lie. The other lie is that they say, well— and, you know, I heard Bob Corker from Tennessee say this yesterday, and he knows better, that we don't have to worry about that because any tax cuts like this are going to result in phenomenal economic growth that's going to pay for itself. You know, the first time I heard that— But they still believe in the Laffer Curve. Yes, yes. Yeah, those of us who know what the Laffer <laughs> Curve is. Uh, but the first time—I uh, think the first president— of the 
Ronald Reagan right. with the trickle down. The deficit, the national debt tripled under Ronald Reagan. Tripled, right? Well, then we heard it under George W. Bush. Remember Bush? Yeah. Bill Clinton left us with, I forget the size of the surplus, huge surplus, and within three months- Another Bush squandered it. Yeah, right. Within three months- Gone. Bush, gone. Gone. Right, because of his tax cuts to the wealthy. And his and war. It never recovered. So they really think we're going to fall for this again? Unfortunately, Unfortunately some American we, people we will. keep uh, falling for it because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, the it happened in the 80s. It happened in the 90s. It happened in the O's. And now they're yeah, the trying trickle, it again in the 10s. The trick. Why down. should they stop? Yeah, right. And they get away with it. All right. Uh, let's get into um, reapportionment because yeah. uh, that was the subject of your book. It Absolutely. So, so such an important book. Um, but it, do, it does bubble up now to the Supreme Court next week. This is huge. This is the big potential game changer that could give us back our democracy, Bill. Um, the <laughs> You're counting on the John Roberts court? <laughs> well, I'm counting on Anthony Kennedy. This is a 4-4 court right now. And Anthony Kennedy has in the past said, show me a standard on partisan gerrymandering and I will consider it. Well, it's been 14 years since the topic of partisan gerrymandering reached the Supreme Court. There is now an amazing case. This is called Gill versus Whitford. It's, it comes out of the redistricting cycle in, in after the 2010 census in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Um, we all know what happened in 2010. Re- Republicans had a deep and serious strategy called the Red Map for Red, yep. redistricting majority project, and their goal was to flip state legislative across uh, chambers across the country, lock Democrats out of the room and t- when it came time to draw all of the new state legislative and congressional lines, and then use the amazing new technology and big data that's available to draw themselves completely unbeatable districts at the state level and at the national level. This is fundamentally the reason why in a 50-50 country in which Democrats usually get more votes. Republicans have all the power in Washington and control 69 of 99 state legislative That's chambers. That's how important it is. You're this right. is the key. This is why Democrats get more votes, but Republicans keep all the power. So this Whitford case, it comes out of the 2012 election in Wisconsin, the first election run on these maps. Democrats get 174,000 more votes. Republicans take 60 of the 99 seats. Mm. It's only gotten worse over the course of this decade. Republicans now have 65 of the 99 seats in this chamber. And the, the state, you know, once a, a real competitive uh, a state. Yeah. In 2016, uh, these assembly districts are so lopsided that di- there was not even a major party candidate put forth in 49% of these races. This is what gerrymandering does to, to our democracy. It strips us of competitive and meaningful elections, and it takes away our choice. Oh, so who brought this case to the Supreme Court? A handful of plaintiffs in Wisconsin, voters in the state, mm-hmm. um, who were outraged over what happened. And these are regular citizens. So as soon as folks uh, start talking about how I don't, uh, there's nothing I can do about partisan gerrymandering, well, uh, there is. Uh, these are a dozen retirees and former college professors who started sitting around a tea room in Wisconsin, and they were talking uh, very frustrated about the election and the uh, results in the state of their state. And they are now on the doorstep of the Supreme Court of the United States. On Tuesday, there will be oral arguments heard in this case. 
Um, essentially, it goes back to the last time that partisan gerrymandering was in front of the court. And that's mm -hmm. a, a case out of Pennsylvania called the, the Veith case in 2004. So what can the court do? Can the court say you have to redraw the, these lines are... Uh, they most skewed, certainly can. And they can, you have to redraw A lower them. district court has already ordered new maps in Wisconsin. But, okay, but who would draw the new maps? Well, uh, what they said was that it would have to be done under court uh, a supervision, and if the court did not approve of those maps, then the court would step in and draw new maps uh, but, themselves. But do we want these, do we want these new maps... So I guess should state legislators be the ones drawing the maps? Because no matter whether they're Democratic-controlled legislature or Republican-controlled, they certainly have. You know, they That's help absolutely themselves. right. Yeah, the foxes should not be guarding hen houses. Okay. Uh, politicians should not be drawing their own districts and choosing their own voters. Every other uh, a, democ a democratic country in the world does a better job than this than we do. Uh, they use, you know, some forms of independent commissions or proportional. How many states have done that so far? About 10. Mm -hmm. California being one of uh, them. California being one. And some of them work and some of them don't. I mean, some of these independent commissions are really just incumbent protection rackets dressed up under another mm -hmm. name. Um, but the, the, the problem here is that the... The, the high court has never once in our history weighed in and established a constitutional standard on this. Yeah. Um, and Kennedy, in the Veith case, the last time this comes up, says, um, I am open to a clear and manageable standard if you can show me one. I don't see it in this case. So he sides with Escalia and the conservative bloc in a 5-4 case that turns down the Pennsylvania case. Um, but he's, he sets loose all of these stats professors and poli-sci nerds so you still think looking for a standard. You still think he has an open mind? He has an open mind. He has asked for a standard. And there is one called the efficiency gap, which essentially measures the number of wasted votes that do not contribute to a win mm -hmm. by either side. It's essentially sixth grade math. So. Uh, and it's, it's clear enough even for... Or a judge, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a test! But so the, the implications are that I guess um, if the court comes down the right way, right. the way we, we we believe they should, and let's say um, in in favor of democratically reflected or uh, de democracy, right? Yes, uh, and fair uh, districts, drawing of districts. Would it have implications beyond Wisconsin? Absolutely, because there are all of these other states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, Texas. Then all you states would, would see have legislation in these states then, the next right. day. Yeah. And there is no one case out there right now that could impact our democracy in quite this way. And we are also right on the verge of the 2020 cycle. So we are not right. far off from all of this redistricting happening again after the 2020 census. Republicans right. have huge majorities in all of these state houses. Republicans mm -hmm. will be controlling the, the, the pen in all of these purple swing states as this next process ensues. So if if there is a, a constitutional standard that comes down from, from the court, at least there will be 
restrictions on how far they can go. It could put an end to this extreme gerrymandering. Okay. Now, we've had Democrat after Democrat uh, come in, including the um, associate chair of the Democratic National Committee, Jamie Harrison, who was here right where you're sitting yesterday, saying that, meanwhile, the Democrats are not depending on the court, that they're out there um, to take over take back these state legislatures so that they do control most of them by the 2020 cycle. Do you see evidence of that? Why don't you ask them who's running against Frank Elobiondo in New Jersey too, um, a district that Trump took by fewer than five points, that Obama won by eight points. But they're no Democratic right. challenger in that district. Ask them who's running really? against John Katko in New York 24, a district Hillary won by four points. Where is the Democratic challenger there? Where is the New York challenger against Lee Zeldin in New York 1, um, in Washington 3rd, and a couple of, uh, of, uh, of winnable Florida seats in the in the 18th and 19th district, you've got all the Democrats down there flocking to run in the open seat created by the retirement of Elena Rose-Lettinen, and there's no Democratic mm -hmm. challengers yet in the 18th and the 19th. Democrats need to take 24 seats to win control. It is really uphill. It's going to be even harder if these winnable districts don't get credible candidates fast. But aren't, these are districts that... There are some 24 or 20 or more. These were districts that were on their target list. But Hillary won, but they're represented by Republicans, you've, right? You've got Those are the target districts? They are targeting about 50 districts, mm -hmm. but the key 23 districts they're targeting are districts that were won by Hillary but represented by a Republican. The, the trouble with a lot of those seats is that only four of those were within double digits in 2016. So while they look like they are good targets, if you're the D triple C, mm -hmm. if you're an ambitious Democrat looking t to run for office, it's not exactly a close race. So, you so it's hard to get challengers here. You mentioned there was the red map. That was 2010? Yes. Okay. Um, is there a blue map strategy? Yes, there is indeed. Democrats um, have something called the National Democratic Redistricting a commission. This is the brainchild of Barack Obama, who has said that Led, redistricting yeah. is going to be his top political priority. Now, Led now, with uh, Eric Holder. Exactly. This is right. the uh, Holder group. Right. Um, they are on the move a little bit. That they raised eleven million dollars so far this year. Um, you know, most of it keyed off of a big fundraiser by Barack Obama, um, and they just announced last week their first major a donation. They're dropping a half million dollars into the key. A Virginia governor's race this year, and that race matters very, very much. It's the most important race in America this year uh, because if if Republicans win it, they will have a trifecta in that state, meaning the governor's mm -hmm. office and both houses of the uh, state mm -hmm. legislature. They will control a redistricting in that state in 2021 because the governor who was elected in 2017 will be over that process, and you can forget about a Virginia for the Democrats for the next And what are the Republicans decade. doing in response? Well, there you go. The Republicans had been pretty quiet as far as a national organization on this until yesterday when they announced the National Republican Redistricting Trust and they a budget $35 million toward oh, it. So oh. on day one, they're going to have twice, they're going to have three times, three times as much what the Democrats as. have managed to raise so far. Uh, so this is an uphill fight, but it is a crucial fight. 
Uh, the the court is 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 very important, but you never know whether Justice Kennedy is going to see in the efficiency gap mm-hmm. and some of the right. other standards that have been brought before him a a, a clear and me- and meaningful guide that can be applied. So so this is, has to happen and is happening, I guess, mm-hmm. on th- on at least three fronts. Exactly. You've got the Supreme Court. You've got the congressional targeting for 2018. And also, you've got the state legislative and governor's Let races. Let me add governors to that. Yeah. Gover- are these governor's races in Virginia and then next year in Michigan, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, the most important races for Democrats in the country? Whoa. Uh, well, David, you, <laughs> it's good you're in Washington for a couple of days here. You've got a lot of work to do, straighten all of this out. Thanks so much for coming in. Always a pleasure, Bill. Good Thank luck. you. Thanks for doing the Lord's work. Scott Wong joining us from the Hill. Coming up, top this of the hour. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Tom Price. He says now he's going to pay back taxpayers for all those flights that he took, but it looks like he's paying about 10 cents on the dollar. Hello, at the most. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Friday, September 29. Great to see you today. Good to have you with us, wherever you are in this great land of ours here on The Bill Press Show. We're booming out to you live and joining you everywhere in this great country from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and when you talk about Capitol Hill and the United States Congress, um, our guest has it covered. <laughs> he is there every day on top of everything that's happening in the House and in the Senate uh, for The Hill, thehill.com. Scott Wong. Hello, Scott. Good to see you. Hello, Bill. Uh, busy days, huh? They don't give you guys a chance. You don't get a break at all. Huh? We're trying to catch our breath every week. you got to run fast, really, don't you? Literally. We, we are chasing lawmakers through the halls of the Capitol, and some of the lawmakers move very quickly. Who's the fastest? Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I tell people this all the time. The fastest on Capitol Hill was Steve Scalise. Oh, wow. Huh. He was the fastest walker through the Capitol. It was almost impossible to catch up with him. Is that and right? And he, he'll zigzag around the Capitol and yeah. take, <laughs> you know, the back staircases, and, yeah. and it was like sprinting to catch up with the guy. And of course, his Security detail was always trying to catch up along yeah. with the reporters. Okay. Well, we caught up with you this morning, and it's good to have you here. And uh, Scott Wong is here for the uh, for this first half hour. Then we'll be joined by Kaylee Hanson Long from uh, NARAL. We'll jump right into all the news of the day with Scott and you. But first, 
This is Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. A member of the NFL's Detroit Lions revealed to his Twitter followers yesterday that his father was denied a job due to his son's protest before Sunday's game versus the Falcons. Defensive tackle Akeem Spence was one of eight Lions players who took a knee during the anthem on Sunday. Spence tweeted, quote, got some awful news from my father, a contractor, denying giving him a job on doing a house before my peaceful protests. Hashtag shake my head. Spence had made it clear to reporters after the game that his protest was not about the flag or the military, but it just fell on deaf ears to someone in his hometown. So that's just an unfortunate story there some more bad news out of the NFL. Hey, the Pope tweeting this morning. This is interesting. He says, quote, I have chosen this theme for World Communications Day 2018. Apparently today is World Communications Day. Or, excuse me, next year. Oh, right. (laughs) Quote, the truth will set you free. Quoting John 832, fake news and journalism for peace. So this was the English translation. We think this means fake news versus journalism. And that journalism will win because journalism has the truth to set you free. Bill, your thoughts? I, I don't know what to think. I you know I don't want the Pope talking about fake news, but uh, I. I hmm. But climate change is okay. He's great on climate. He's change. so good on climate change. Yeah, I mean, leave the fake news to Donald Trump. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, World Come Communications on, Day. World Communications Day. I don't know what day that is next year. That's World Communications. He's not day. like uh, Sean Hannity. He's not accusing me of being fake news. No, is he, no. the fake news, as, as Sean Hannity said the other night. We should get to that later. Uh, today, <laughs> however, in the U.S. is National Coffee Day. Here's a roundup. Oh. Of all of the deals at Dunkin' Donuts, get a free medium hot coffee when you purchase a medium or larger hot coffee. Eh, I don't like that deal. No. Krispy Kreme is doing three whole days of National Coffee Day. Get any size hot coffee for free or any small premium iced coffee for free through October 1st through Sunday. (laughs) McDonald's is selling its espresso-based drinks for $2 today. And instead of free coffee, Star- Starbucks is replacing its menu board with signs detailing the company's ethical sourcing. Oh, God. That's not celebrating National Coffee Day. No, not at all. Just how about, do that every day. How about Death Wish Coffee? What are they offering today? Oh, I don't know. Don't, <laughs> don't drink Death Wish Coffee. I don't think I want to know. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Fired up and ready to go every day. Fired up and ready to go here The Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, everybody. Thanks for being with us on a Friday, uh, ending the week here with a bang, uh, September 29. Lots to talk about. Uh, The uh, Republicans in the House say, well, we did such a good job on repealing Obamacare, and now we're going to tackle tax reform. And get it done by the end of the year. Really? Uh, Scott Wong covers the Hill for the Hill, thehill.com. That's right. Here in studio with us. Hello, Scott. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, So I want to start with um, a wonderful moment, a heartwarming moment yesterday uh, on the Hill. We don't see these very often. uh, And... uh, I was over at uh, CNN, and everybody stopped to watch because to see Steve Scalise, Steve Scalise coming in 15 weeks after he was 
mowed down on the baseball field over in Alexandria was uh, a wonderful moment. Here's what it sounded like. I'm sure you remember. And uh, the congressman saying uh, he was uh, glad to be back in the people's house. You have no idea how great this feels to be back here at work in the people's house. So I read Scott this morning that it was a surprise that when he came in. There were a few hints here and there that something was about to happen. Uh, He put CBS, the 60 Minutes show, put out a clip of uh, Scalise in his first media interview. So we knew he was getting better. He was well enough to go on TV, but there was no indication until they blasted a release out yesterday morning. All of a sudden we realized he was in the Capitol and reporters were running around trying to figure out where he was. He happened to be in a room in the the ceremonial speaker's office Uh just off the House floor. right finishing up a second uh, interview with Nora O'Donnell of, of 60 Minutes. Well, but they, it was great that they had the at least one of the two Capitol Police officers who saved his life, uh, saved the lives of a lot of people there by you know going after the, the, the shooter. Right. Uh, and the doctors from MedStar were there uh, in the in the. Uh, That's right, one, well. of, one of his surgeons and, and one of his security detail. Now, Crystal Griner, the other officer who helped save mm-hmm. Mr. Scalise's life, could not be there, but... There were a lot of nice moments in that speech. Uh, you know, specifically seated behind him were his uh, his roommates on on Capitol Hill, John Shimkus mm-hmm. and Kevin Brady. Uh, there was uh, Cedric Richmond, his really good friend, a Democrat mm-hmm. uh, who happens to be uh, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. He he gave a big high five to Cedric Richmond upon entering the floor, and then a, a, probably the the greatest. Part of that speech, I would say, was when he gave a shout-out, well, Scalise gave a shout-out to Brad Wenstrup, an Iraq War veteran, uh, a physician who was on the baseball field that day, saw what happened to Scalise, and ran over to him and put a tourniquet on him. And Wenstrup ran over to Scalise during the speech after he was mentioned his name, and they embraced, and, and, you know, you could both were overcome with emotion, right. So, will will Scalise be able to and uh, to, to pick up his duties as as House Whip? I think he's slowly going to start ramping things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we've known that he's been on, you know, a lot of phone calls. He calls members. He calls into leadership meetings. Uh, he's been trying to stay engaged. He's the type of guy that's very hands on, and so it must be very, you know, challenging for him to be sitting in a in a hospital or a rehab room. All this time, well, you oh, know, yeah. while these big events are are going on 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 healthcare and tax reform, so he's stepping he's stepping back into the fray, and uh, he'll he'll be uh, as far as we know he'll be back to work on Capitol Hill from this point on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, um, he's not the only one to make a miraculous recovery. Our own Peter Ogburn has done as well. I heard he's coming uh, back, recovering from uh, open heart surgery, and will be here on Monday. Do so, not miss Monday's show. Monday show. It's a surprise Monday lineup. Show. It's going to be a really fun two hours. Yeah, we uh, we also we have. Uh, um, we're going to have our goal is to have as big a crowd uh, for Peter as we had uh, <laughs> as had for Steve. Standing Calise. ovations. Uh, I hope. Exactly. Yesterday. So. Um, 
Republicans have, uh, you know, they, they didn't do so well on the uh, repeal effort. But, but so let me ask you before we move on: Is repeal dead, dead, dead? Or every once in a while, I see somebody saying, "Well, we're still." In fact, the president yesterday told reporters that we st- we have the votes. You know, if if it just weren't for that one guy in the hospital, here's Donald Trump. If we can do a great health care bill. Bipartisan. I'm okay with that. Even so, we have, appeal? Pete. We have the votes to get it done. You can't do it when somebody's in the hospital. You know, when you have yeah. 52 votes and you need 51, it's you know, it's very hard to get. We actually only need 50 for my with Mike Pence breaking the tie. But he's not the only one. Mike Pence yesterday said we're going to repeal. It's just going to be a matter of time. You know, we'll get there. Really? Well, they're they're concerned about disappointing their conservative base, right? Well, I mean, they they've been promising this for seven years, and and they've already disappointed their base. They disappointed their base in July or whenever it was. Right, when they didn't right. get it the first time. Right, right. Well, so so there's a lot of pressure. I'm on just them. asking. Realistically, repeal is dead, isn't it? I I think realistically, it's nearly impossible to get it done in this Congress, uh, and so you know, right. Okay. I, I don't. I, I won't say it's dead. I will never say it's dead because stranger things have happened in the well, Capitol. Well, let me ask you this though. Then will they pick up again the efforts by Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray, which seem to have been moving along for mm-hmm. a bipartisan sort of fix the problems with Obamacare rather than repeal? Right. I think that's the direction this is now heading. Is Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray are very close to getting some sort of deal on, you know, how to how to fix or, or tweak Obamacare around the edges, not a full on repeal. The same type of discussions are happening in the House with this, uh, you know, this so-called problem solvers caucus with uh, Tom Reed and, and another Democrat, Gottheimer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think this is given what's happened the past seven or eight months. Of, of the first, you know, the first seven or eight months of the Trump administration, this is now the direction that healthcare is heading. Well, at the same time, and I, I, I hope that's the direction it heads. I think there's a lot of potential there, a lot of promise there, and a lot of people who, who are ready to put the one-sided partisan stuff behind and and work together. But then we hear that Tom Price and the White House are doing everything they can to undermine. Obamacare by taking money away from states. Donald Trump said he's going to sign an executive order next week, right? So they're making it more difficult for um, the ACA to right. survive. Right. But here's here's so, the reality. So the, isn't that a conflict? I mean, well, it the, rea- is the reality is is Republicans are on the record. Paul Ryan is on the record saying Obamacare is currently the the law of the land, and so Republicans are in charge of Washington. If if uh, the Obamacare marketplaces start collapsing and people start suffering, this is on Republicans. the Republicans' watch. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think a lot of Democrats are saying if Republicans try to take the legs out from under Obamacare, they're going to be the ones that get blamed. Yeah. Well, we know, um, I guess we can, we can expect them to get a lot done because uh, if you listen to Paul Ryan, uh, Scott, and I wanted to ask you about this, uh, sometimes now we're not – that far away from the Capitol, you know? I mean, right. you can see it from my house, our bedroom deck. 
Or if you just walk right out this building here on the corner and look down Pennsylvania Avenue. Exactly. Yeah. Right? There it is in all of its majesty and glory. But so those of us, even this close, when we look at the Capitol, we think, God, they're not, what are they doing? They're not getting anything done. They've been the whole year, and all they did was they got Neil Gorsuch appointed. What else? But when you listen to Paul Ryan, you get a totally different um, impression of how effective and how successful they've been. Here he is just the other day. We've actually passed more bills in the House for the president and his agenda in this first six months of his administration than in the first six months of Obama, Clinton, and both Bushes. The House has passed 316 bills. That's a record pace. Now, 260 of them are still in the Senate. The Senate's busy working on judges and appointees and the rest. But the House has been extremely productive, not just extremely productive. The House has been more productive than any Congress in the modern era. More productive than any Congress in the modern era. What's the truth here, Scott? I mean, it's true. They're passing bills. Most of them are not being taken up by the Senate. They're being ignored by the Senate, and they're not being signed into law. But they knew that when they passed them. Right. right. Didn't they? So you could say some of them are messaging. They're just going through the motions, right? I mean, who are they kidding? The real, you know, the truth is, is that most Americans, most probably reporters in the Capitol, can't name those specific bills, <laughs> right? What do we think of? We think of the big ticket items. We think of yeah. health care, yeah. tax reform, the wall. These are the central pillars of of the Trump and the Trump campaign and the Republican. So what are the major accomplishments of this Congress so far? (laughs) I'll leave that one to to Paul Ryan. Cricket, okay, yeah. (laughs) I mean, the one thing, I I said this yesterday on CNN or whatever, that um, Neil Gorsuch, about it, right? No tax reform. We'll get to that in just a second, but they haven't done it yet. No infrastructure, no immigration reform, no health care repeal. Um, what else? Uh, nothing, right? Right. The, Neil Gorsuch. Basically, the, the the bare minimum of keeping the government's lights well, on and, yeah. you know, passing right. I was just going to say, if you want to add that, right. that was a deal that Donald Trump struck with Nancy Pelosi <laughs> and Chuck Schumer, not with the Republican leadership. Right. And, yeah. and the interesting thing, you know, <laughs> segueing into tax reform, the interesting yeah. thing is, is that Republicans in the House and Senate this week rolled out their tax reform framework that right. they've been working on Interesting. For, for months. Not a bill, just still a framework. Right. Still a framework with a lot of details left unknown. Right. And they're doing it on a partisan basis just like they did with health care reform. Can they do it on fifty can they can they do it through reconciliation? You're talking about in the Senate. I, I think it, Senate. it follows very closely with what we saw happen with health care reform. Okay, okay. I think it can pass the House, but it gets jammed up in the Senate once again. But they have to write a bill first, correct? Yeah. Okay. I looked yesterday um, to the extent that I, you know, uh, figuring out how many working days they have left this year. And it's a maximum 40 Right. Um, based on what they've done the last few months is what I did. Just sort of okay. So, what is your take? What does your gut tells you? Are they going to get tax reform done this year? I think the House could pass tax reform this year. I think there's a window. You know, there's a lot of other. Okay. No, I'm talking about will the Congress pass tax reform and Donald Trump? The ent- pass, entire United States Congress send it to Donald Trump's desk 
by the end of the year. Well, what's your gut tell you? I don't. I don't know. I, I'll say I don't know. I, I won't put it past them. I will say. Do you think it's likely? I won't say it's likely. There are Republicans, including Dave Camp, the former Ways and Means chair, who said it's unlikely they get it done in 2017. So, well, you know, Donald Trump said um, several months ago, "God." Nobody told me that healthcare was so complicated. <laughs> wait, wait till tax reform. Exactly, that's my <laughs> point. You talk about something complicated, right. but actually, and, and we use the word tax reform. I think that's uh, that's not uh, correct of us because, from what I've seen, we're not talking about tax reform. We're talking about a series of tax cuts that they want, and the tax cuts that they outlined yesterday. You're right. There's still a lot of questions. You know, unanswered questions. Right. But the tax cuts that they outline are tax cuts that benefit the wealthiest of Americans, as always. Getting well, rid of the alternative minimum tax, getting rid of the estate tax, cutting the top rate from 30, 39 down to 35, while they raise the lowest rate from 10 up to 12. Yeah. Well, I think the tax reform element is the simplification of of filing your taxes. You know, Paul Ryan keeps talking about how he wants you to be able to do your taxes on a postcard. I know. Okay. They, so that's, that's, you know what? They've been saying that for 50 years. It's, it's, it's gimmicky. It's, it's gimmicky. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I, I would love for it to happen if I could file my taxes on a postcard. No. no. <laughs> so would I. But it's never going to happen yeah. because that means you'd have to get rid of almost every loophole. Right. And, and that's, that is the difficulty in this entire process. I was talking to a lawmaker during the health care fight. Uh, I'll, it was off the record, so I, I won't name the lawmaker. But he was basically saying that I asked him if his office has been inundated with lobbyists during the tax reform fight, uh, health care fight. And he mm-hmm. said, no, not really, but wait till tax reform <laughs> because they're going to be lining up. You bet. To, to protect their, you know, loopholes and, and all these special interest groups have, you know, their, their carve outs or whatever. And so... Every loophole, whether it's benefiting the oil companies or the, um, you know, orange grove mm-hmm. people, right. you know, or charitable deduction. I mean, you name it. And a lot of them very worthwhile, but right. a lot of them also protect specific industries that we don't even know about, right? right. The dairy subsidies and all of that. Um, there is an army of lobbyists here to fight for every, to retain every single one of them. Every that, single one of them. That's exactly right. And we're going to start seeing these folks come out of the woodwork and, you know, fight to protect their little piece of, of the tax puzzle. And uh, it's going to be very, very interesting times. As as more and more of the details become known, we are going to see, uh, you know, some of these fights hit the front pages of the newspaper. Right. And now one other aspect of this uh, so-called tax reform is – um, that with the tax, getting rid of the tax, with the tax cuts that you're talking about, it's estimated this is going to cost about $2 trillion. Um, and then, so people are saying, whoa, whoa, if uh, any Democrat had ever proposed the thing that's going to balloon the debt, national debt by another $2 trillion, we'd be raising holy hell, right? So Mark Walker, who is the Republican from North Carolina, chair of the Republican Study Committee, he was asked about that. Well, why aren't con- Republicans concerned about the debt, how this is going to impact the national debt? 
And his quote was right here, front page of the New York Times. Uh, it's a great talking point when you have an administration that's Democratic-led. It's a little different now that Republicans have both houses <laughs> and the administration. He's admitting right. that that whole talk about the deficit is just a pure political talking point, that they basically don't give a rat's ass about the debt or the deficit. He's also a Baptist minister, so maybe he doesn't want to lie <laughs> on the front pages of the New York Times. But I did, I did see that quote. And, uh, but it's stunning, right? He's admitting. Right. So He's basically saying, you know, when, when there's a different party in charge of the White House and the Congress, then we can turn a blind eye to all these spending issues that we've been hammering Democrats over for years and years during the Obama administration. So, so they know the tax cuts are going to benefit the wealthy. They're not going to they're going to screw the average middle class, the middle class and they're going to add to the national debt. But they don't really care. I mean, that's what he's saying. I mean, I'm summing it up. You don't have to sum it up that way. But uh, I think it's pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, on the political side, there have been some interesting um, uh, Bob Corker. Yeah. Not running for re-election. Big news. Uh, can we expect others to follow his lead? Oh, in terms of retiring. Um, what do you hear? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that out of the, you know. Out of the question, um, you know. I guess we and have Corker's to think. One of, of the more rational, senior oh, yeah. voices among Republicans. Exactly. There, right? he's, he's a respected voice on Capitol Hill. He takes time to explain things thoroughly. He's respected by reporters. He talks to reporters. He's been pretty critical of Donald Trump on occasions. He was supportive sure. on other occasions. Sure. You know, I mean, he was he was once considered for vice president, VP, yeah. Secretary yeah. of State. Would have been a better um, pick than Mike Pence, in my judgment. But anyway. <laughs> He's, he's least, the, you know, he's the foreign. At least he knows something about foreign policy. You know, sure, he's, he's the foreign relations chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, that was big news, and and I guess it wasn't uh, entirely surprising given the fact that he's been engaged in this sort of you know cold war with Donald Trump. I mean, whenever he's asked, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump's comments on Charlottesville? You know, he he volunteers his opinion, and sometimes those opinions are critical, and so. Donald Trump allies and Steve Bannon allies had been trying to recruit somebody to run against him. Mm -hmm. One of the names floated was Marsha Blackburn. I was just going to ask you about her Congresswoman, next. Yeah. Right. Senior, senior congresswoman from Tennessee, very conservative. Uh, and uh, upon you know the news breaking that Corker was retiring, I spotted Marsha Blackburn at, at a House vote. And I went up to her and asked her, and she said, I just learned the news myself. And I said, will you take a look at this? Will you take a look at running for Bob Corker's seat? And she said, yes. So it's very interesting. She, she ultimately opted not to challenge Corker in, a, in the primary. She was recruited by Trump allies to run against Corker in a primary in 2018. She said, mm -hmm. I'm not interested in doing that. But she's going to take a look at that Senate seat. I mean, she's almost a Roy Moore type uh but maybe not that crazy or that that far, but she's she's about as conservative as you can find. She's in the very house, conservative. She? I, I'd say she yeah. probably uh, is a little more polished yeah. than Roy Moore. She's a Freedom Caucus person, is she? Uh, I don't believe she's in the Freedom Caucus. But remember, we know Marsha Blackburn from her time chairing the Planned Parenthood special committee that was investigating those 
undercover mm-hmm. videos. And so John Boehner put her in charge of that, and she was the face of that Planned Parenthood committee. Um, that, that's a good segue that uh, joining us in the next half hour is uh, Kaylee Hanson Long from NARAL, National Communications Director. You could ask NARAL. her about We can Marcia ask Blackburn. her about Marsha about <laughs> hey, Marsha Blackburn. Hey, Scott, is, uh, is Peyton Manning running? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I have people in the Capitol were were making a lot of jokes about whether Peyton Manning was going to jump in. I think he he actually said he wasn't interested. I believe, I'll but he's been spotted up. on multiple occasions here in Washington dining with members of Congress. So you never know. Former NFL quarterback is well yeah. liked by a hey, lot of people know, in this we've, country. We've so. had uh, we've had major league pitchers, and we've had you know we've had NBA stars. So why not? Sure. We had Heath Schuler from North Carolina. That's right. Uh, at one point, um, the I, I saw today that Kirsten Cinema from Arizona. Yeah. Right. Right. Thinking of running. No, she's in. She's in. Oh, that's right. She announced. She yeah, announced. Right. Now, is that for Jeff Flake's seat? That's right. She's uh, a Democrat. She's a Democrat. She is a. Uh, I saw somebody. Maybe it was Politico. Uh, had a nice turn of phrase. They called her a pro- progressive turned moderate. Uh, from my days in Arizona, I worked for the Arizona Republic for an, a number of years before coming to Washington, I, and I covered her in the state uh-huh. legislature and yeah. knew her well. Um, she had been like a Green Party liberal in in Arizona, and uh, in in running for the uh, her congressional seat, which was a more moderate swing district mm-hmm. seat, she mm-hmm. uh, she adjusted her politics and and has been one of the I think maybe the only one or or only, few Democrats who always vote against Nancy Pelosi for speaker when they do that roll call every couple of years. So uh, it's very interesting. Uh, she's 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 in. She put out a video yesterday saying she's in the Senate race. And, uh, you know, she served alongside Jeff Flake for a number of years. They know each other very well. This is a, a very interesting race. Uh, depending on, on how the political wins go, she has a, a good shot, I think. Uh, uh, but Jeff Flake may have uh, a serious primary challenge first, correct? Right. Uh, serious? I'm not sure. I mean, he, he'll he'll get a... He'll get a tough primary challenge. One right. candidate is already in Kelly Ward. Uh, is it Kelly Ward? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, right. Uh, who is who is a very very conservative? Uh, I guess maybe the question there is whether Steve Bannon and his group get behind Kelly Ward and yes. and, and try to do in Arizona what they were able to to pull off in uh, right. Alabama. Right. And so, I think there already has been some recruiting and, and meddling in that in that potential primary race. I think they're looking at a couple other candidates to see if there might be a stronger uh, conservative to run against Jeff Flake from the right. And what is the latest that we haven't heard for the last week or so? Maybe we've been um, so, uh, talking so much about tax reform and health care and um, Puerto Rico. Uh, I haven't heard anything about the incipient dreamer uh, deal with uh, – uh, the president and his new BFFs, Nancy and Chuck. Uh, is there is there still talk about a Dreamers Act deal? Uh, it, there there are a lot of conversations happening in the Capitol. Um, Speaker Ryan has formed a committee that is, at this point, just a Republican committee to take a look at 
how to solve the dreamers issue, um, you know, over the next few months here. But we're talking about a standalone deal, not comprehensive immigration reform, which is very important and we need, but they're never going to get that done. But to just focus on DACA or the Dreamers and the Dreamers Act, which has been around for what sixteen years right, or so, right? Uh, and that there certainly would be enough Democratic votes. They need some Republican votes, however, of course, to get out of the House. Well, I think the Republican line, you know, has been let's do let's do some border security with this. Well, that's uh, what Donald Trump said. Right? Donald massive, Trump. massive right. border right. security. But Donald Trump has also said, "Get, get DACA done. Yes, you know, get it right. done. This is now on you, U.S. Congress, uh, and I'm, you know, counting on you to take care of this issue." So and I know there's some members of Congress would like to get it done before the end of the year, rather than have it drag into March of 2018, which is when his six-month window would. Right. Would no, expire. I think there's pressure on both both parties to get something done. I mean, you know, Nancy Pelosi, this is her base, right? I Absolutely. Mean, so if she fails on, on DACA, then her base is going to be screaming mad at her, like like we saw at, at a recent uh, press yeah, conference but, where she got protested. Yeah, but she can't bring it to the floor. Only Paul Ryan can, unless they have a discharge position. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Nancy is limited and, just in what she can do. Right. And if she gets all, all 195 Democrats, which she probably will— that's not 218, right. you know? So Paul Ryan's got to deliver some Republican and, and votes. And Paul Ryan too, has so. said, to, to his credit, Paul Ryan has said, you know, I agree, we need to do something positive well, to, to help these people. Well, then you know my response is? Then schedule a vote, dude. Schedule a <laughs> vote. You know, bring it to the floor. Right, so, he does have the right. power. All right. Well, Scott, there's, there's a lot going on today. You better get back there so you don't miss anything. But thank you for starting off your day right here this morning. Anytime. Thanks so much. All right. Follow The Hill, thehill.com. You can even see Tuesdays in The Hill. That's the real reason for checking in. (laughs) When we come back, what is happening with NARAL? What is happening on so many fronts? Uh, Kaylee Hanson-Long is the National Communications Director for NARAL. Coming up next. If we allow a family to keep another $1,000 of their income, what does that mean? They can renovate their kitchen. They can buy a new they can they can buy a new car. They can take a family vacation. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. How about it? Friday, September 29th. No, 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 no. You can't go into the weekend yet. we got a little more time left here on the Bill Press Show with some important issues to talk about. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining us as we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Hear me talk about them. They are the great men and women of um, our federal government who keep the agencies running. Um, Don't hear about their names in the news necessarily, but they're there every day uh, in our federal buildings all across this country, not just in Washington, D.C., to serve the American public. As we say, they're proud to get up and work for America every single day under the leadership of President J. David Cox. Check out their website at afge.org. 
org. We're talking with Scott Wong about what's on the agenda here um, for this Congress and the 40-some days that they have left in this year. Uh, one item, just what we need, another vote on um, uh, taking reproductive choice away from women or trying to, a bill that would ban abortion after 20 weeks. Uh, and, of course, uh, that remains a, a big issue for the Republicans that they keep trying to chip away at. Kaylee Hanson-Long is the National Communications Director for the National, for NARAL, that's what we call it. Okay, <laughs> let's just jump to the acronym. Uh, hi, Kaylee. Nice to see you again. Yeah, good to see Thanks you. Thanks for coming in. It's been, uh, what, we figured since January, maybe? That's right. Yeah, it's been, I'm uh, just remembering the last time I was here it was right after Donald Trump was elected and we, you know, had envisioned a, a world where reproductive rights were going to be under attack and unfortunately that has proven true. Um, so, you know, as you said, uh, we're seeing sort of these attacks come not just from the administration, but also from the Congress. And so we're fighting hard to fight from the that. Congress and from state legislatures across the country. That's right. 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 It, it just it feels like it never stops. But that's why we are here with our allies and, you know, Planned Parenthood, et cetera. Um, to really protect women across this country. Uh, and now we have a new member. The one thing that Congress has, we just, just discussed with Scott Wong, the one thing the Republicans were able to do, the only thing they've been able to do this year, is to get um, Donald Trump's nominee, Neil Gorsuch, on the Supreme Court. Yep. Um, and um, we haven't, we're worried about, we haven't seen how he might rule on these issues yet. But yesterday, um, he made an unusual appearance, and you and your supporters were there. We were. We didn't see him, but we were there. We were outside of the Trump Hotel. and Where he, as Justice of the Supreme Court, is giving a speech. That's right. He was giving a speech at the Trump Hotel. Of course, the Trump Hotel profits off of these big events, so that was pretty alarming to us and our members. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, also a huge conflict for him. I think uh, exercising incredibly bad judgment Mm -hmm. because um, very clearly for Donald Trump to be president (laughs) of the United States, leasing this hotel, this building, and making money off it is against against clear the letter of the of the rules and regulations for GSA. And that case, there's a lawsuit on that issue, and it's pending its way, winding its way up to the Supreme Court. Absolutely. So at some <laughs> point, he's going to hear arguments why Donald Trump should not be the least lessee or whatever of that hotel. And here he is, right? you know, going to an event there, speaking there, helping Donald Trump, in effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that this the lawsuit that you just discussed is, you know, making its way potentially up to the Supreme Court is totally crazy to think that the person who could be over one of the people who could be overseeing the case would then be helping to sort of basically put money in the pockets of the Trump family. So it's just it was of incredible concern to us, our members and our allies who are out there with the Arab American Institute as well. Um, You know, and we just wanted to say no. I mean, there's no. Uh, no way that you can be considered an impartial justice if you're going to be taking speaking engagements like that. Um, there are plenty of properties in D.C. I mean, you know, you and oh, I both live here. Yeah, there are plenty yeah. of really nice properties out here in D.C. So the fact that this event continued to go forward at the Trump Hotel and Neil Gorsuch didn't take himself out of the mix is of real concern. Right. And I, I, I mentioned this earlier. He did not schedule the event at the Trump Hotel, but um, he made the choice to go in there. Right. I mean, years ago, 
I was invited to uh, give a speech and uh, to meet with a group mm. uh, in Las Vegas. I living in L.A. at the time. Uh, I flew to Las Vegas. I got to the hotel, and there was a picket line in front of the hotel. And I called the people inside that I was meeting with, about right. 20 people, and I said, I'm not going in that hotel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, it was my choice. <laughs> I would not go in that. They they chose to meet there. I would not go in there. And you and expect- I didn't. And, and by the yeah. way, they filed out, and we went to another hotel. There you go. I mean, it's about basic judgment. Um, <laughs> Supreme Court justices are supposed to have good judgment. This was incredibly poor judgment and unethical. Um, and so that's why we were all out there. And, you know, it's something that we are keeping track of. I mean, you know, we we know that there's a lot of damage that Neil Gorsuch can do from his position on the Supreme Court. We've already seen a lot of what he has done throughout his lifetime, um, you know, as a lawyer, as a judge, you know, what the, the ways that he's undermined reproductive health care. But these conflicts of interest are really concerning for so many Americans. And, you know, we just had to say something and be out there. And so we were. Um, and that, so that's one judge that's already on the court. Yesterday, <laughs> Donald Trump, it was a busy day for you yesterday, yes. <laughs> also nominated uh, to the appeals court mm-hmm. uh, someone who's very troubling, again, in terms of respecting uh, the rights of women to control their own bodies. Uh, tell us about him. Yeah, so the or man... him, him, him right? Yep, yeah. it's Ky- his name is Kyle Duncan. Um, he was the lead attorney in the Hobby Lobby case for Hobby Lobby, um, you'll remember that that it was the court case that basically allowed bosses to control what kind of birth control mm-hmm. their female employees could access. Right. Um, so, you know, what we're Under seeing, the guise of religion, I, I have to say. Sure. Yes. And totally I would. Totally phony, but. Exactly. And I and I would just say that, you know, the nomination or this, you know, the selection of Kyle Duncan is just one example of a larger <laughs> pattern that the Trump administration has been uh, pushing forward since he was elected. He, they've been putting judges uh, up for, or excuse me, nominees up for positions in the courts and really stacking the courts with people who have a truly heinous, anti-choice, extremely conservative agenda, basically ensuring that the Trump agenda could be in place for decades to come. I mean, as people are looking at the different pieces of legislation that are you know, being debated, you know, the different executive orders and things that the Trump administration is putting forward, the real story here, I think, is that the Trump administration is stacking the courts with people who will put forward this really anti-choice agenda for decades and decades to come. These are lifetime appointments. Um, and so sure. I think it's incredibly important for people to be you know, raising their voices and paying attention to who these nominees are. People like Kyle Duncan, who have undermined a woman's right to decide what's best for her body. People like John Bush, who now is on the one of the appeals courts as well. Um, he's someone who called abortion and slavery, who compared abortion to slavery. So it's just a real concern for us, and that's why NARAL is paying really close attention to all these different judges and judicial nominations. Are process. they getting? They're getting nominated. Are they getting confirmed? Yes. Well, John Bush was. John Bush was confirmed, and of course, there's another nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, who we expect will have a confirmation vote, I believe, next week or in the in the near future, and has a very serious anti-choice record as well. And these are people who are going to oversee cases that would determine whether or not there is funding toward Planned Parenthood in the states, for example. Um, And so that's a real concern for women. It's a real concern for our members. And I think it's something that Americans who who care about these issues uh, really need to pay attention to because, like I said, this is a problem that we could see for a lifetime, for generations. As uh, Scott Wong uh, informed us in the last half hour, we were talking about uh, Bob Corker, 
uh, from Tennessee, Republican chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, announcing he is not going to seek re-election. Right. And right away, Marsha Blackburn uh, announced that uh, she's certainly going to consider running for that seat. Marsha Blackburn, who came to prominence in the House when she chaired this uh, special committee or whatever right. uh, to defund Planned Parenthood. That's right. So the the beat goes on, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just re- relentless. Absolutely. And I think what's also important to remember <laughs> is that while Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are sort of fumbling all over the Affordable Care Act repeal, um, you know, they haven't been able to get this done because activists like our NARAL Pro-Choice America members and grassroots activists across the country have come out and protest. They want to keep the law. This is the time when they realize that they are losing and they're losing badly. And what they need to do do is throw some red meat to their base. That's why you're seeing a 20-week abortion ban introduced in the House the same day that they have to pull the vote from the floor on Graham Cassidy. That's why you're seeing these really heinous nominees uh, come through from the Trump administration, because their base is just, they love this stuff. Um, And unfortunately, what they're doing is listening to this really extreme fringe base, rather than listening to the will of the majority of Americans who support legal abortion, who believe in a woman's right to choose and decide what's best for our own bodies and lives. Right. uh, and so is is there, as part of the repeal, um, was defunding of Planned Parenthood part of that final deal? It was. It yeah. was. Defunding Planned Parenthood was a part of the final deal. There was also permission for states to waive coverage of birth control. There was also going to be a prohibition on using your private dollars to access abortion care. That's something that actually folks didn't hear a whole lot about because that came in the more in the in the last version that eventually just died a very quick death. Um, But the fact that the reproductive health uh, limitations or restrictions just kept growing and growing under this bill. How can they do that? How can they how can they prevent your spending your private dollars? Right. On anything. Exactly. I mean, for folks, I guess, but. (laughs) <laughs> Has it really worked? <laughs> I and the thing that is just so crazy to me. I mean, thinking back to the Graham Cassidy Heller mm-hmm. bill, is you know you have a group of senators who claim to be of this pro life party, yet you have a bill that would literally leave some people to die if they didn't have this life saving health care. They didn't have this health care coverage. That is completely hypocritical. It is so wrong, and that's why we were just continuing to step up and fight back and. You know, we know that this is something that they are not going to let go, and so we're continuing to to watch this as well. We're uh, ready to fight no matter what. Uh, uh, and you mentioned, uh, what is this bill, the twenty week bill, all about, and when is it scheduled, or do we know yet? So they've announced that they that they're bringing it to the floor. It should be on the floor next week, as far as we know, in the House. And usually, this passes the House. This is something that you know they have a, a incredibly anti choice House right now. Um, And we'll see what happens in the Senate. I mean, as I said before, Mitch McConnell really needs a win for the base and needs a win Mm -hmm. for Donald Trump's extreme base. And so, you know, we'll be waiting and seeing what happens there. But uh, what this bill does is it puts a ban on abortions after 20 weeks, which, of course, are abortions that happen in like one percent of of the of the total care. Um, But what's also these the so-called late term. Um, Yep, some are. And the thing that I think that is really important for people to remember is that the we're talking about women in these situations who face some of the most medically complex situations imaginable. Um, These are women who, you know, who could face a serious fetal anomaly. (laughs) These are women whose health is at risk. There's no health exception in this bill. Life is at risk in some Exactly. Exactly. 
And, you know, when you see this, it's just it's it's telling women in the most complicated situations, situations that these politicians can never understand um, what to do with their bodies, what to do with their families. It's just sick. Um, and so we are it's telling doctors, too. Right. And actually, this bill would put doctors behind bars for violating it. So we rem- if you remember a, a year and a half ago when Donald Trump said that there should be punishment um, for abortion, that's you know, this is a, a nod to that. Um, it's putting doctors behind bars. It's punishing women who wouldn't be able to make these decisions for themselves about these incredibly complex health situations that they face. It's just so wrong. <laughs> Given this house, this bill's gone probably going to pass this house but what you're saying really is we would fully expect it to pass the house and then you know we'll see what happens in the senate um you know like i said mitch mcconnell needs a win who knows i mean maybe they would bring this up this is lindsey graham brought it to the floor the last time this was his bill and he's certainly suffered a pretty big loss with the health care bill so we'll see what happens but that's why we are continuing to gather our members especially over the weekend we're going to be having a big day of action to raise awareness of sort of the dangers of this bill um, but yeah, I mean, it's just every day there's something new. <laughs> you know, I'm curious. Um, how does the United States rank with other states, let's say in the European Union, when it comes to um, reproductive rights and a woman's right of choice? Yeah, well, the, the United States, I are mean, we more restrictive or we are certainly restrictive. And I think the thing to remember, too, is that, you know, Donald Trump has been in office for nine months. However, the restrictions that we see across the country have been, you know, put in place over the course of a decade and more. Um, this has been a really systematic and strategic uh, plan by an extreme group of individuals in the anti-choice movement to really undermine a woman's right to choose by putting these, you know, these state laws into place that, you know, you you may not have heard of. They don't make the front page. You know, they're just kind of put in there. They say they're you know, for women's health when what we know is that the restrictions actually put women in danger, uh, you know, their lives and, and health in danger. Um, but this has been slowly and systematically, they've been slowly and systematically chipping away at a woman's right to choose for a long time. And I think that now that you have the administration in place who is so severely anti-choice, you know, led by Donald Trump, of course, who said he could grab a woman by the you-know-what, doesn't have a whole lot of respect for bodily autonomy, but also is supported by Vice President Mike Pence, well, who, yeah, right. you know, who has been the face of this movement for such a long time, of course, famously quoted as saying, Roe must go. That's why it's no surprise that you see a, a justice like Neil Gorsuch make his way onto, onto the Supreme Court, because that's been his belief as well. Um, you know, this has been a problem that we have faced as a country for an incredibly long time. Um, and, you know, it's people are waking up to it now. Uh, people, it's a lot have known about it for a long time. But, you know, everyday folks may not have really seen it. Um, now they are. And they're incredibly alarmed. And so that's why we're out there fighting but, on this. But it also seems to me that more and more uh, women are waking up to the challenge. I'm not I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that they've been asleep at the switch for a long time. But I don't no. think we've seen the level of political activism uh, on the part of the grassroots, and particularly, you know, um, Stephanie Shriak was in from uh, Emily's List the other day talking about just the, the, the Niagara <laughs> cascade of women Absolutely. running, stepping up to run for office, school yep. boards, state legislature, you know, state senate, uh, Congress, and, and everything across yeah. the board. Yeah, and I think that 
you know, Stephanie does a great job at Emily's List and just seeing how many women are stepping up to the plate running, getting great trainings from Emily's List, that is just so heartening. And the other thing is that there are people across the country, there's state legislatures and activists, legislators and activists going around and, and introducing proactive pieces of legislation that would protect reproductive health care because people see what's coming. Mm-hmm. They understand the dangers of this administration. They understand the dangers of this Congress. And so we are seeing people in places like Nevada, in places like Oklahoma even, in California, pushing bills that really protect a woman's right to choose and protect women. So a proactive uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so among all the terrible things that are happening, it's actually been really heartening to see people rising up at the state level and just saying no uh, to these attacks on reproductive health care and pushing bills that will protect women. So that's been a really, really positive thing to come from this election. And it just adds to the already existing great work that had been happening. But, you know, a lot of women, especially young women, are, you know, getting more involved than ever before. And, you know, we're happy to see it at NARAL. I'm so happy to see it at Emily's List. And, um, you know, as a young-ish woman myself, it's been really inspiring to see my friends who have nothing to do with politics calling me and asking me, you know, what can I do to help? They've never sent me a text like that before. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. I'm really just so grateful for that. Right. So um, with with all these restrictions at the state level, I mean, access to um, – to uh, clinics where we can take advantage of that mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, in, 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 I mean, it's become harder and harder, hasn't it? In That's many right. states, yeah. And it's which a of the states? Which of the states are the, are the you know the, the 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 ones that have been the most the yeah. most restrict, restrictive? So there are a number. I mean, listen, like trying yeah. to trying to grade the states on how restrictive they are is a difficult task. In some cases, women have to travel hundreds of miles, right? Absolutely. Take days off work. Um, And so so there are a number of states now that actually only have one remaining abortion clinic in the entire state. Kentucky is one. Um, These are states that are large. Kentucky. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and you think about, you know, the different restrictions that have been enacted on a woman's right to choose that have the impact of either of closing clinics or making women face these truly unnecessary and crazy hurdles to access abortion care. You know, you there are things called mandatory waiting periods, which essentially means from your first appointment you have to wait 72 hours until you can access care. Uh, what that means is that a woman who, you know, might have kids, have a job, you know, that she really can't afford to take time off from would have to drive hours and hours on end. That's a day you know, wait for three or four days that it takes to, you know, fulfill this mandatory waiting period, get the abortion that she has the right to choose to have. Let's remind ourselves, (laughs) which is still legal in this country, the law of the land. Yep, legal. Yep. And, and, you know, legal, I hesitate to say legal for now, but, you know, it just is, it's hard to stay optimistic when you see these bills, although these activists really give me hope. Um, but just the the number of hurdles that you see women have to jump over to access this health care um, has just it's insane. Um, and so, you know, what we are really working to do is is to make sure that, you know, as part of this rollback of reproductive rights that the Trump administration is determined to execute. You know, we want to make sure that everybody knows what's going on at the state level. And so we really encourage folks to log on to our website. You know, you can get more information about what are the laws in your state. No state is perfect, not even California, not even Connecticut, you know, blue, blue states. Um, You know, there's work to do all across the country for sure. 
Um, you and know, that website is NARAL. NARAL.org. Yep. N-A-R-A-L.org. Oh, yep. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's where you can learn more about what's going on in your state and how you can be a part of our movement to fight back against these rollbacks on reproductive um, care. Is the, um, is the number of abortions increasing in this country? It's actually it? going down. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you have to imagine that Obamacare, which of course, covered the cost of birth control, you know, contraception is is free, um, has something to do with that. I mean, you know, giving women the ability to control their own lives and destinies through that law, it was the greatest expansion of reproductive health care in a generation. I mean, the impact can't be overstated. That was huge. And so, you know, for folks... Uh, Republicans, you know, choose to go ahead and say that, you know, they want to reduce the number of abortions. Great. Support birth control access. Yeah, That's exactly. a no. really easy way to do right. it. Um, but they That's don't. always been the contradiction, <laughs> right? Exactly. They're so on the on the, on the warpath against abortion. And yet at the, at, the same, at the same time, they're on the warpath against sex education. Right. right? And I mean, or, I. Or. Or family planning. <laughs> it's really, it's really scary, and to, and especially with this last bill. I mean, with the Graham Cassidy Heller bill. You know what that was saying is, you know, we're going to take away your birth control. We're also going to take away your access to abortion, and oh, by the way, we're going to slash maternity care too. So if you happen to get pregnant because you couldn't get that birth control, we are not going to be able to give you the maternity care that you need to raise the healthiest baby possible. So the contradictions and the hypocrisy is just astonishing here. And as a woman, you know, who wants to have kids one day, I just, I think of this and it's just totally alarming. And I know women across the country feel the same way. So, And we're only nine months into the, uh, and we're only nine months into the Trump administration. <laughs> Ten in a few days. So <laughs> maybe, who knows? Hey, Kelly, you're doing great work, all of you at NARAL. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, great organization for, and been there for a long time, fighting for American women at NARAL.org. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks a lot. Hey folks, have a great, great weekend. Peter Ogburn this joins us back on Monday. This is the Bill Press Show.